and this will be recorded so it will go out into the world. Okay? It will go good. on the internet. All right. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Well, so last time I was here, I had a heavy, 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 heavy subject that I talked about. If you, you may recall, those of you who were here, that it was about perilous times in the United States, and uh, I, I did those uh, talks for about two years. And uh, they were hard talks, necessary talks. Um, I still try to do them once in a while, but, uh, but I've really been focused on this new ministry that I recently started. Uh, I appreciate the time, uh, Pastor Dennis, to speak to your congregation today. What I'd like to do is uh, tell you why each of us must be involved in missions and why I am involved in missions in another country. And then I'd like to tell you a little bit about that ministry and then show you some slides um, about the area where I minister, and I think you'll really enjoy that. It'll probably take me about, uh, I'll try to keep it to like 40, 45 minutes, so if you start to get antsy, you've got that time frame in your mind, just check your watch and you'll know how close, just hang in there. Um, I, I had... I had, yeah, I know. You prepared them well, Dennis, I've heard. <laughs> That'll seem short, right? <laughs> um, I had written my outline earlier in the week, and I sat down yesterday to put in one scripture in the afternoon, and I ended up rewriting the entire outline. Has that happened to you, Dennis, a few times? Yeah. So uh, let me ask this. How many of you have heard recently a message on uh, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Okay, good. That's, that's the Great Commission. That's where Jesus told the 12 disciples uh, to go and make disciples of all nations. And uh, So that's what we're going to spend some time on. I'm going to focus more on uh, eight, verse 18, 19a, and 28. Uh, because that's more relevant to giving you some background for uh, for my ministry and to tell you about it. Uh, so what I'd like to do is uh, I'll read Matthew 28, 18-20 through, and then I'll go back and focus on uh, those particular verses. So if you want to turn to Matthew 28, 18-20, we'll cover those. And again, this is called the Great Commission, and it's widely believed that uh, Christ spoke to the disciples on a mountain in Galilee and, and that it was most likely the same mountain from which he was transfigured. And uh, so that's really incredible. Uh, okay, so let's, uh, let me read that. It looks like everyone has it. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So again, verse 18 says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Has been given to me. So who gave Jesus this authority? God the Father. The one who created heaven, the one who created earth, and everything in it. So he is telling the disciples, I have authority from the highest possible uh, person. I have authority to, to give you this direction. And then he says, therefore, therefore what? Therefore, because I have this authority to give you from God, uh, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. So first Jesus tells us to go based on his authority that he has. And that means that we cannot wait for the lost to come here to the church on Sunday morning. We have to be out there reaching out to those. And Jesus commands us to go do this. So we, it, it's not enough to come to church and worship and study. He tells us we have to go out there and reach the lost. Um, 
Then he tells us, it's not enough to win people to Christ, we must also make disciples of them. So he doesn't just tell us, go out and reach the lost. He tells us to make disciples, and I'll tell you in a minute what that includes. Uh, Then he tells us to make disciples of all nations. So that means not only are we supposed to go out in Jefferson City and the United States, but to all the countries of the world. So what does Jesus mean when he says make disciples of them? Of course it includes winning them to Christ. Everything follows from that. Uh, It also means bringing them into a Christian fellowship. That means bringing them to church, getting them in a church where they can grow in their faith and they can be with other Christians for fellowship and discipling. It includes teaching them the commands of Christ. All the commands, the instructions of, uh, that Christ gives us. And it includes building them up in the faith by teaching them God's word. Very, very uh, tall order for us. And, and uh, as Pastor Dennis was saying earlier, so many churches, and I don't want to get off on one of my perilous times talks, but so many of them have this bunker mentality of let's just all gather together behind the walls of the church and and uh, just let the rest of the girl, the world just go to hell. I mean, literally speaking. You know, let's just go do our thing and we're safe. So, so you know, just leave them alone. We'll just kind of gather together and, and get our strength from each other. Um, verse 28 says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded. If I had time, I'd, I'd stand up here and take you through all the verses that talk about how important it is to obey uh, his commands. And of course, the entire Old Testament is full of the consequences that Israel suffered because they were disobedient to God. Uh, So absolutely critical. Um, In the interest of time, I want to share one verse that has the greatest impact on me. If you want to turn there, it's uh, John 14, 23 and 24. Okay. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Let me read that last part again. The word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Uh, Another way to put it is if we don't obey Jesus' commands, we don't love Jesus. Let me say it again. If we don't obey Jesus' commands, we don't love Jesus. It's just that simple. The love for Christ cannot be separated from from obedience to Christ. Um, All of us in here who are believers, and I'm sure that's all of us, but uh, is there anything more heart-wrenching for someone who's a believer than thinking that we don't love Christ? And that's just heart-wrenching to think that. Christ died on the cross for us and pulled us out of that dark pit and gave us hope for eternity. And when, when I read those words, it just touches me deep in the heart that he, that he says that. So a question that we must continually ask ourselves is, am I obeying Jesus' commands? That's a, that's a good thing to start every day with when you're doing your quiet time. Not only God search my heart, but examine me, show me where I'm not being obedient. And some of us don't give it a second thought. You know, maybe we're doing a couple of the right things and we're, we're going to church and we're studying, but there's so much more that he tells us, that he commands us to do, that we really, really have to, to think about it that each day and really search our hearts. How can I be more obedient to Christ? 
So was the Great Commission meant to be carried out just by the 11 disciples? No. That, that would have been absolutely impossible. Was it to be carried out even in their lifetime? Again, impossible. I mean, there was no way they could reach the entire world for Christ during their life on, lifetime on this earth. What Jesus was commanding for each of us was for each of us in every age, including this age, to carry out the Great Commission. And that answers the first thing that I said I would tell you. That is why you and I should be involved in missions. We're commanded to. We're to be obedient to all the commands, everything God commands us to. So we have to. It's our charter. It's our command. We have got to help fulfill the Great Commission. The other thing that's equally important, and it sounds like you're doing a a series on this, is uh, uh, that we study God's Word ourselves. Um, That's what my ministry is all about. I'd I'd love to go into more time about that, but, uh, uh, but I want to try to stay focused. We each have to be concerned enough about the spiritual teaching received and our own beliefs that we search the scriptures prayerfully and diligently verify that. Let's turn to Acts 17.11 for a moment and uh, hear what Luke has to say about this. So Luke says in verse 10, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And then here's where the real meat in this one comes. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures, scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So Luke tells us the Bereans are of more noble character than the Thessalonians. Why? Because they were eager, number one, to hear God's word. And number two, they did not thoughtlessly or uncritically accept what Paul had to say. In other words, they tested it for themselves against the scriptures before submitting to it. And Paul himself tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test everything, hold on to the good. What, he's, what that means is that we're supposed to carefully examine everything that's proposed to us to believe and to hold fast to the good things. Now the good things are the things we have been told that pass the test. So those things that we're told that we have gone to Scripture to verify and they have withstood that test of Scripture, we hold on to that and then we reject what is false. So we're not, we're not to blindly accept what we are told on trust or to believe it because it's delivered by a charismatic preacher who makes you believe that what he says has to be true and there's something wrong with you if you actually want to examine it. And how many are out there like that now? I don't know if you ever flip through the stations or watch some of the stations, but occasionally I'll stop and listen to some of the pastors that, uh, that I don't have a lot of respect for, and it's just because I, I just want to watch them and see how they do that. You know, they make it like... You know, don't even, this is the way it is. If you question me, there's something wrong with you. You can't really be a believer. But we're to test everything. Um, We're not to accept anything at all, no matter who delivers it. And I'm sure Pastor Dennis would encourage you to test everything. I encourage everything to test, everyone to test everything that comes out of my mouth. The church I attend has a great pastor. He's a biblical preacher. But I test, I take notes, and I test what he says. If I don't know, if I haven't studied that particular scripture or whatever, I take it home and I test it. I read it. Now, I have to say I haven't 
come up yet <laughs> with anything that he's been wrong. It was my misunderstanding. But the point is, I still continue to test it. Um, when we're convinced that it's true, we're, he says to hold on to it, to stand firm. And that means no matter how unpopular our opinion is, and believe me, if you are standing for the truth in this day and age, you are going to face some opposition. And what's sad is you'll, you will face it in evangelical churches. You know, that what they preach keeps shrinking from here, down, 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 to, to where now, okay, we don't want to preach hell, we don't want to preach sin. You know, we, we just want to preach, as it, as it says in Scripture, what will satisfy their itchy ears. You know, God is love. Forget about the justice part of God. And, you know, there's, there's everything in the Bible is true and meant to be applied. Um, and then no matter what ridicule we have to endure. And that happens too. You know, we're called uh, intolerant and insensitive and uh, not compassionate and all these things if we stand firm for the Word of God, for the truth of Scripture. It's not easy. I mean, there are so many things in Scripture, but everything in Scripture is true and to be applied. We don't just skip over what we're uncomfortable with. Um, And no matter what price we have to pay for standing firm, we've got to do it. And Ephesians, one of the things that it constantly repeats is stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. Don't give up any ground to Satan. Stand firm. Hold on to what is good in the face of whatever, and it and it gets and it's hard, but uh, I, I I know quite a bit about the persecuted church abroad because it's a, I was a spokesperson for a few years for Voice of the Martyrs, and it really touched my heart. And even though I'm on uh, the lead from them, I still pray every week, more than every week, but frequently for the persecuted church, and they stand firm. They stand so firm that they don't renounce Christ with a gun to their head or a gun to their kid's head. They stand firm. And and we haven't been tested like that. Um, (laughs) So I would say, if Paul, the man that God chose to write almost half of the New Testament by himself, says, test what I say, do you know anyone else here on planet Earth that we shouldn't test any preacher or teacher? There are none. If you have them, please bring them up and we'll be happy to discuss it with you. He doesn't say, he, he says, test everything. And I just, I, I cannot get that across enough. Don't accept what you read, what you hear, unless you've gone to this book and confirmed that this is, that it's the truth. Um, The people I take commentaries and Bibles to do not have any materials to test God's Word. Uh, I go to the most remote areas right now in Guatemala and Africa. And they, a lot of times, the only one who has a Bible in the church is a pastor. That's it. And they come to church, they don't have commentaries, they don't have anything, they have a Bible. And often they'll come to that church and read the Bible because they don't want the pastor doesn't just let you take it home. So uh, they'll come to the church and sit and read the Bible and have to walk to do it. So uh, they they really don't have a way to do that. Uh, so God called me to deliver Christian materials and Bibles to these people. That's the call, and, and you know what a call is. That's that's God calling. You to do something. He called Pastor Dennis to preach. So when he calls us, we have to be obedient. It would be much easier if he would have called me to Jefferson City. Right now I'm dealing with four major issues in my intestines and stomach. But that's that's part of it. He'll take care of it. So he happened to call me there. And that's that's why I'm a missionary in another country. Bottom line is because God called me to there. He didn't call me to preach in a church here or to evangelize in Jefferson City or Missouri, he called me to these other countries. Um, 
So now that I've told you a little bit about why each of us should be in missions and why I'm in another country, I'd like to tell you a little bit about my ministry, Spanish Evangelical Resources. I was the director of Latin American operations for MANA, but as we went through this, uh, through the process, myself and Fred, the founder and the writer of the books, had a little bit, um, not a conflict, but a little bit of difference in opinion. My philosophy or approach was, that I felt called was to deal with heads of Christian organizations and schools and uh, districts and regions and to contact them because they have, they're responsible for a lot of people, a lot of pastors. For example, one of the, the people I'm working with is the president of the Baptist Seminary in Guatemala City. He's over a thousand pastors. And those pastors then are over their churches. So what I wanted to do and what I've been doing is contacting them and then they check our books out and then it goes from there to the people. And his, his uh, approach was to sell them on the street in the marketplace. You know, in these other countries they put little mats out and that's their market. And he wanted to do it that way, which is perfectly fine. He's done a, a great job of that in 28 countries. But the other thing is, this whole thing of testing what's written. He wrote the 66 books. He was called, so he wrote commentaries on the 66 books of the Bible. I put them through a very extensive testing and examination. They actually go through about five different examinations before we put them on, distribute them to people. And that became a little bit of a challenge because he wrote them and when we would get to an area that he had written that I disagreed, he subscribed somewhat to Reformed theology, which probably not everyone knows. But, but anyway, so, but I held firm to that it has to be tested. And so we test them and test them and test them. So as a result of that, we had a, a very good agreement that uh, he gave me permission to take his books, do what I need to do with them, let him see what changes we made, translate them into Spanish, and then distribute them. So I started an entire new ministry about, well, actually back in March, and it's called Spanish Evangelical Resources. Um, let me see where I am here. Um, so anyway, my passion is taking God's Word to remote areas where they don't have it. That's, that's what means the most to me, is, is when I go to those villages, which I'll be doing the month of September, and you go to those pastors and they, they stand there with tears running down their cheeks telling you what those commentaries have meant to their congregation and to their own study often. There is nothing more fulfilling than that. And it's just such, a, it's such an experience. I, I hate to be away from my wife that long, but I am so excited. I leave day after tomorrow and uh, come back the end of, toward the end of September. And it's going to be a great time. My primary ministry... Well, the Lord called me to actually start a ministry uh, when I was on a mission trip in the remote areas of uh, Cameroon, Africa in 1998. So in 2007, we were doing ministry, but in 2007 I actually went through the nightmare of getting this ministry registered with the Cameroonian government. And only God could have made that happen, believe me. I can tell you, because they had an official policy, no more. And still yet, God worked things to where it took us six months, but, uh, but we actually got it registered with them. Uh, my primary ministry in Guatemala is to the Mayans in the mountains by Lake Adetlan. And that's about four and a half miles from uh, Guatemala City. Now, these Mayans have lived there for centuries, and they practice what's known as religious pluralism. And what that means is that they think that all religions are equally valid ways of getting to heaven. That each one has a little bit of truth, that none of them has, has the absolute truth. So they take a little bit from Catholicism, which is the biggest religion there, and then they take a little bit from their Mayan religion, which has uh, some pantheism where they think God is in everything, and uh, they do a lot of sacrifices 
they don't sacrifice kids like they did once, but, uh, but they do a lot of sacrifices still. Uh, and then they take a little bit from uh, Protestantism. You know, they, it's kind of like, well, let's make sure we cover all the bases. We don't want to sl- this one to slip through. And, and, uh, and, of course, we know that it doesn't work that way. So my mission is to take the truth of uh, God's Word to them and easy-to-read commentaries. This is about, uh, this is an older version, but this is about 36 pages long on Ephesians. And it has been tested by fire. And we have gone through this so many times that one of the final reviewers is uh, a professor of New Testament at Satepa in Latin America. And uh, the last thing we do is when I'm down there, we all get around the big table and we go through this page by page. And anything that comes up, we, there's four of us that do this, and we talk it through and make sure. And a lot of that is culture. You know, we might read it one way, but then it's great to have three people right there in Guatemala who can say, well, yeah, Larry, that makes sense to you, but they're not going to know what this means. And we'll re- rewrite that section so we're all satisfied with it. So it's, it's little books like this. In the United States, these are a dollar to print. Dollar twenty in Guatemala, where I have everything printed, this would be about thirty-eight cents. So three hundred eighty dollars for the thousand minimum. Uh, by the time we do all the translation of this and corrections, and even with mostly volunteers doing it, it's still by the time we get a thousand of these printed, we still have around six hundred dollars in each one of these. So you can do the math pretty fast to see how much it's going to cost us to do at least the New Testament. You know, we're going to be right at $30,000 to do this. But I mean, can you imagine the impact for $0.38 cents on someone's life to actually be able to study this? If, if you ask me to come back after my trip, I'm going to have some testimonials actually written out because they're coming. I'm getting them like you can't believe. We have one church of a little over 200 people that just started using it for all their Bible study stuff. And uh, we're going to use their testimonies on radio down there. And uh, it's just, so I'll, I'll come back and share with you if you, if you invite me. Um, so anyway, it's just, it's taking the true word of God in, in an easy to read way. Because these people are, um, some of these Mayans have never stepped foot inside a school. They learned Spanish and a, and a tribal language, but they've never been educated. So I can't write this as a theology book or send them MacArthur's commentary on Ephesians. It's, it's what, 350 pages long? Um, you have, to, you have to, to cover the areas, the key areas, and then hope that you have encouraged them to go beyond that. And part of going beyond that is our website. Uh, we just launched it a couple weeks ago, but, uh, but I've already got, I think it's ten different places they can go, all in Spanish, where they can continue their study. They can go as deep as they want to go. One of the sites is the Spanish side of MacArthur's site, Grace to You. So there's lots, and we're going to continue building that. We hope, hope that in the next year we're up to about 75 pages on that website. And everything on there is in English and Spanish. Um, that website, I have a card in the back, so if you have any interest in going on the website, which I hope you do, just pick up one of those cards and it has the website on it. But it's, you know, it's a good website for, uh, not just for them, but for your own study. It's got so many good, and you may already have them, but um, the way that I even got the 10 that I put on there is it's, those are the sites that I use. I picked some of the sites I used that also, of course, had Spanish on it. So everything on our website is both Spanish and English. So you both, if you speak Spanish, you know what's going on. You speak English, it's there too. And I think you'll enjoy it. It tells all about the ministry and a lot more depth than I can go in. God has blessed the ministries both in uh, Cameroon and Guatemala beyond belief. And it's just, when I first started this, uh, just this year in, in Guatemala, we didn't have one single commentary translated in Spanish. None. 
Zero. And everyone told me there's no way. He said, practically everyone said, if you have one or two commentaries done in the first year, that'll be great. We've already done seven and have, have three of them in distribution. And when I go down there next week, we'll be taking more out to the Mayans. So, and I, I don't have time to go through how we how we do that, but as far as the funding and all that, but uh, but God has really blessed us. Let me share with you just a couple of the things from uh, that's happened in Africa um, that God has used the Isaac team to do. First, just uh, in 2008, we planted seven new churches in Nigeria. When we went up there with the Baptist Convention, stayed for two months, and planted uh, seven churches. They're all still going now. Last year we planted, or uh, in the last two years, we planted five new churches in Cameroon. And we have led through our revival meetings and all that, we've led approximately 2,500 to Christ. And we baptized personally just our team, or a lot more have been baptized, but we baptized around 175 new believers, the team has. And this is what's happened just since we started three months, four four months ago, I guess it was, uh, in Guatemala. God has brought me a team of volunteers from Canada, the United Kingdom, the U.S., and Guatemala. I did not know one of these people at the beginning of the year, not one of them. And it's the most incredible team you can even imagine. Uh, We've translated seven books. Again, we only have three. We'll shortly have five in print. Uh, but they're, they're expensive, but we're okay. We're getting that backlog, and, and uh, God will bring us the funds. We have made contact uh, and sold books at Seteca, which is one of the biggest or largest seminaries in all of Latin America, and through the Baptist Seminary in Guatemala City which I tell you that it was miracles to even get in to see him. I'm a Baptist. Don't throw anything at me. So if you know anything about the Baptist denomination, that is, you want to talk about bureaucracy and red tape. Again, that was a miracle that God even got me in to see the president, much less that he actually approved our books. And he got a team of 15 pastors, gave them the books, and said, you review these with a microscope and then you tell me whether we should do these. So after they reviewed him, he came back to us and said, we're having a national conference and you are going to be the only one we're allowing to sell books there. So we sold right at 100 books at that conference, which was just incredible. Um, We've distributed uh, right at 200 commentaries to pastors and I'm going to go visit as many of those pastors as I can next week to see how they're using those books because they have them and I'm hoping that they're really making use of them in their congregation. If they're not, I'm, I'm going to be doing a lot of major encouraging to get them to do it. Uh, and then we've distributed uh, 50 in, in uh, Nicaragua through a man who also has a ministry in Guatemala. And I mentioned before, one church of over 200 is using them. And, and one of the major accomplishments, again, is in, in three months, we created a website. This lady in uh, Canada and I, um, and, and that in itself is a miracle. I guess we have about 12 pages on there. But again, keep in mind, everything that we do in English, we're doing in Spanish. So in the midst of trying to get our books translated and everything else translated, we're translating um, things into Spanish because this is really directed towards Spanish people, Spanish-speaking people. So, um, so anyway, that gives you kind of an overview of what the ministry is about. Of course, I could go into a, a lot more detail, but uh, what I wanted to do because I think you'll really enjoy it and it gives you a, a little more first-hand uh, experience or uh, yeah, experience with it is to show you a few pictures. I, there's quite a few there, but how are we doing on time anyway? I don't want to... You're doing great. Okay, good. Okay, sure. Um, and again, the uh, let me go back here. 
Okay, the website is uh, recursosevangelicals.org, and that is R E C U R S O S dash, or like a hyphen, E V is in Victor, A N G E L I C O S dot org. Recursosevangelicals.org. And again, it's in both Spanish and uh, English. So now I'd like to show you just a few of the pictures. If our brother Patrick is ready to go back there. Okay. This picture is of La Limonada. That is the second biggest ghetto in all of Latin America. There are over 100,000 people in that ghetto. And running right through it is an open trench, a ravine, that is for all their sewage and everything else. And you can see it's mostly just, at the best, it's a few pieces of tin, in some cases a few pieces of cardboard. Over 100,000 people, can you imagine? Bigger than, the, bigger than Columbia, than the city of Columbia. It's just huge. And so we, we kind of do ministry on the fringe of that. And uh, I'm going to spend a lot more time this time here developing more ways to, to get books into them. And it's, it's just rampant with violence and gangs and uh, a dangerous place. The police don't even go inside there. It just kind of rules itself. Okay, and again, this just shows you somewhat kind of what the buildings are like there and, and uh, just another view of it. This is a typical village that we minister in. You can see the ten buildings over there and, and that, uh, what you might think is a road is actually just a path. There's no, believe me, there are no roads <laughs> to get in there. And uh, that's a typical village we would try to go into. And this is a closer up of where they live. And when I was down there uh, a few months ago, it was over 100 degrees, and the humidity was probably probably mid 90s. So can you imagine what it was inside with that tin? So they don't. So they really only go in there to get out of weather. Otherwise, they'll just sleep out on the ground, and uh, they cook. They'll have a Sometimes it's a barrel like that or an open fire they'll cook on. And this one's pretty fancy because they actually have a clothesline. It's usually, they usually put their clothes just over bushes and whatever they can, can to dry it. And this is, I told you, we're in the mountains by Lake Adatlan. This is kind of a shot of what those look like. This guy... <laughs> He's a Mayan, and uh, this is typical of how they earn their money. He will take his machete, go off the side of, the, of one of those mountains, and find trees that are down, and then make these bundles of wood like this for his own use, but also he might walk 10, 12 miles, and that I don't know if you can tell how steep that is, but I can tell you that is a really steep grade. And he'll carry all this. This guy was in his 70s. He will carry that all the way into town and, and sell it for enough to get tortillas or flour or something like that. And they do that all day. They're down there carrying them up the side of those mountains. This is uh, how we show things. Not quite as fancy as we are here. Um, but that's a, a sheet. <laughs> yes, you can tell a bed sheet. Uh, just hung up on a on a frame there. Sometimes it's it's not even that sophisticated. And then a, an electric generator will run this camera that we show stuff with. And uh, you show it on uh, you show the Jesus film or whatever you happen to be showing to them. But you know sometimes there'll be two three hundred people show up for this, and they're all sitting out there on the ground. These kids are sitting on a bench right here. You can see another one over there. But they just took a couple little stumps and put a board across it. But they'll be sitting in the hills and just sitting wherever they can. And they'll, they'll walk a long distance to get there. 
I, I love this picture. This was a church I was in. And uh, so I'm kind of looking around. I had my camera there, and I looked over at this little guy. And he, I don't know how old he is. He's maybe, I told him afterwards uh, just how he touched me by his worship. But he's what, maybe 13, 12, 13? I don't know, it's my guess. But look at him. He's not thinking about getting out and playing a video game. And we had already been there. When they start their service, you guys do a lot of songs. They might do an hour and a half. And standing. And, you know, he's, he is totally focused. The little girl in the back, both of them have their eyes closed. These guys are a little less excited. But I just looked over at him, and it just reminded me of some of the 12, 13-year-olds we have here. And it just touches my heart to, to see him doing that. And this is uh, some pastors I spoke to up at the lake. There were, I guess, about 18 of them in there. And, uh, and I had given them all this book. And this guy over in the corner had this stern look on his face. And I thought, eh, he's, he really wants us to be over and to get out of here. And so afterward, they all came up to me to talk to me. And he had tears in his eyes saying, this is an answer to a lot of prayer. So I had just totally misread what he was thinking, but uh, but they're all using them. I'll see them next uh, Friday, and uh, they happen to be at uh, um, a school of 400, and they're all pastors, but they also teach there at the school, and they so they live right there in, in San Pedro at, at Lake Atlanta. And this is just. I take boxes of books, and we have to rent a vehicle, of course. So everyone in that room was lined up, um, asked you know, to get the commentaries. And, of course, they asked for, I had, five, I think it was five for each one. Um, some of the books haven't actually officially gone in print yet. But it's like, can I get more? Can I get more? Can I get more? So this time we're going to, we're going to take more so they can give them to, the, to their congregation. Okay, this switches over to Africa. You notice there's not a nice hiking trail like our national parks. This is one of my teens in Africa. The guy in the blue shirt, that thing on the top of his head is a gas-operated generator. Days, days they have to walk like that, carrying it on their head, no trail, right through the brush and rocks and everything else, but we are in remote areas. You don't see any, in this picture, you don't see any towns, any roads, nothing. <laughs> and this is a church that I spoke at. Um, the only music they have, instruments, is this drum. And you go in, this was before the service started. It, uh, I think it actually should hold about 40 people, and they had over 100 in there. And I mean, they were just wall to wall. But again, with just that drum, they stand up with their hands up in the air, singing for an hour and a half, two hours. And you better come ready when you come there. I'm not kidding you. Because some of them will walk four or five hours to get there to go to a service. And when we showed the Jesus film, there must have been three to 500 people. And we showed it right out in a field with a sheet and a generator. Ran out of gas right in the middle of it. <laughs> and see all those benches they're sitting on? They just make those out of bamboo. They just cut them up and there's no... Well, they started to put some cement in. This is all dirt. This is a little bit of cement. Uh, but definitely not too fancy. And again, this is a typical village once they do get there. Um, that's what one of the villages we would minister to. You won't see any vehicles of any kind there. It takes you most of the year a four-wheel drive. If you find one like you see a road to this particular one, that is so deep in mud, you can only get there by four-wheel drive a lot of the time of the year, probably two-thirds of the year. This is one of the fancier churches there. They've got a window and a window and window on the back side there's there are no there's nothing in the hole, it's just the hole. And then there's not a door there. 
Um, and then you can imagine what all this is like during their monsoon season with all that mud. <laughs> and again, that's the inside. You can see where they sit. And up there, you can, I don't know if you can tell those wires, but they wouldn't quite pass the code. <laughs> they, they only work with a generator, and they're the same gauge wire that you might find in a uh, lamp or something here. It's definitely not a, you know, it wouldn't meet the standard of an electrical inspector. Uh, and this, they've got a little bit of a roof here. There's nothing over there on that side. And uh, they, they just love it because at least they've got a place inside to come and worship God. Okay, that's the end of the slideshow. So that gives you a pretty good feel for where we minister. Um, there are so many lost people in this world, and they are perishing literally by the tens of millions, not just thousands, but, you know, there's, what, half a billion people in South America and, and so many who just don't know Christ. And Christ's last commandment to us was, go and make disciples of all nations. And as Pastor Dennis said earlier, not everyone can go to another country, and not everyone is called to another country. And there is, believe me, as he said, there, are, there is a lot of opportunity right here in Jefferson City. It's, um, in a way, I'm thankful that God took me somewhere else because it's so much easier. <laughs> they, just, they are so downtrodden and oppressed and have such little hope that when you tell them about Christ and the hope for eternity... They are just, I mean, you just can't believe the reaction. It's, you know, they just cry. And, and when they go to worship, they are worshiping so much in the heart because it's about hope. Because they, it's not like someone who's unemployed for a while here in the States and they know they'll get a job. Maybe it'll take six months, nine months. They know that their entire life is going to be like that, that they're never going to get out of it. They'll never have anything. There are no jobs. They have no education. So when they have the hope of Christ and they really get it in their heart, okay, I may have to endure the suffering for, until I'm 70, 80 years old, but then for eternity I'll be with Christ. It's just, it's so incredible. And they don't go through all this, uh, uh, all the theological questioning and the, and some of the sometimes... Uh, Oh, gosh. <laughs> Self-serving questions that we face here with people who are lost. You know, they, some of the questions we get here are just so... It, it, it's based in guilt and confusion and, and looking for reasons not to accept Christ. There, they're looking for reasons to accept Him. And the bad part of that is anyone who comes to Him and gives Him hope, they'll jump on if... if the Mormons happen to get there first, or Jehovah's Witnesses are in a lot of those areas. So you have, they have to have the truth. And that's where my ministry comes in, is, is showing them that these there's only one way to God and one way to heaven. This is the truth. This right here is the truth. It's all right here. And uh, it's, it's just so much... Uh, it's so much more gratifying. It doesn't. You get worn out physically, but you just keep getting energized by the reception when you're there. Um, I have a little bit of a request. If, you, if you're giving to your church and aren't already given to missions, I'd ask that you pray about giving to missions and ministries that are are uh, sent to other countries to save the lost in obedience to this. And I know many of your probably already have favorite people that you're giving to and favorite ministries, and that's okay. But try, if, it, if you're all, at all able, pray and see if the Lord will show you a way to give to these other ministries and missionaries, of course. And, and I want to reiterate that first we have to give to our own church. And that's first. Otherwise, you won't have this place to come and worship. But beyond that, God calls us to, to try to help them. Um, if as you're praying, uh, you would include me in that group, uh, I, I, I just want to tell you one thing, because this isn't a plea for money, but every single penny that comes into my ministry goes for books. 
These trips, I go down there three times a year, Sally and I pay for them. Nothing comes out of ministry. We don't take a dime for administrative cost, period. That's the agreement with the Lord. And as a result, I have a reserve for printing books that could only come from God honoring my commitment back to Him. So even though we, we don't have right now, um, a, well, we have one or two more books ready to print, and then it may be a few months, but they're going to be expensive books. The next one we're going to do is Mark, and it's a long book, and so that's going to be an expensive book. Uh, but I just that's all I want to say to you is that doesn't go for administrative costs, doesn't go for trips, doesn't go for me. No one involved in this ministry gets a dime of salary. No one. The only thing we have to pay for, uh, and we're really fortunate even on this, is uh, I give a stipend to well to two people who are doing translations. Because I tell you, it is hard to find really quality translators. And uh, and even that, they the little amount I give them is, is so ridiculous that in their regular jobs, because they're certified translators, they're making probably I mean, 10, 15 times as much as what we give them as a stipend. Because they're Christians and they're doing it partially as a ministry. Um, so again, thank you for letting me share this with you today. And uh, and if you have an interest, just tell Pastor Dennis and, Dennis, and when I come back from my trip, I'll bring some new slides and some testimonies and uh, and kind of share how, how they're using these books and the impact it's having. But, uh, but I'll translate. I'm taking a recorder with me, and I'll translate what these pastors are telling me into English and then share them with you. So thank you so much. I really appreciate your attention and letting me come and talk today. God bless. Amen. We are appreciative of uh, Mary and Sally. We uh, 